This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. With that now, we will turn to the preaching of God's Word. So before we begin that, would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, I ask as we turn our attention to the Scriptures that you would speak to us through your Spirit, that if we have heard these specific verses before a couple of times, dozens of times, hundreds of times, that when we hear them today, they would hit our hearts freshly. Father, I ask that you would speak not just to our hearts, but to our minds, that we might be made alive to your truth. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, please open it to Proverbs chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there is probably one in a pew somewhere near you. And if you don't have a Bible at all, just take that pew Bible. Write your name in the front cover because uh, it can be yours. And you can just take that home. That's our gift to you. But if you have a Bible, Proverbs chapter 4. And we'll be resuming our series in Proverbs. Before we go straight into our passage, though, there are two types of people in this room this morning. There's two types of people, which means that you're going to find yourself either the first type or the second type. The first kind of person in the room this morning is someone who has come in searching for wisdom of how to live. The second kind of person is someone who has come in satisfied with the wisdom they have for how to live. Two types of people. Either you're someone who's searching for wisdom, and you're here this morning, you're still doing that search, or you're someone who's satisfied with the wisdom that you have as you've entered into the room this morning. And I think that the verses we're about to read will speak well to both of those kinds of people. If you've come into the room this morning and you think of yourself as someone who's searching for wisdom, maybe you've come in and you're just sort of at your wit's end of how you should live. Or you know that whatever you're doing in life isn't quite working and you're not getting the results that you want. Maybe you're stuck in some sort of cycle of self-destruction where you can't just help but seem to do the wrong thing that has disastrous consequences over and over again. Maybe you've come into this room and you're longing for things to be better. You want more from life or you want to be a better person or have some purpose for each of your days. If that describes you in some part or in large part, the first thing I want to say is welcome. There's no better place for you to be right now than with a Bible in your lap looking to God's Word. If you don't know how to move forward in life, if you don't know how to endure whatever struggle you're going through, or how to have a life and live it abundantly, then this time is for you. Because we're about to look at God's word and lean on his wisdom. And there's no better wisdom to be found. So if you've come in and you're searching for some better way, if you're searching for a way out of a struggle or out of a place of sorrow, welcome. 
This time is for you. The second kind of person that might be in this room is someone who's satisfied in the wisdom that they already have. Maybe you've come into this room and you feel like, by and large, you actually know how it is you want to live. Maybe the things that you've been doing in life up until this point have been working pretty well and have been turning out for your good. But even if you've come into this room and you're satisfied with the wisdom that you have, there's still two different ways to be satisfied. The first is to be satisfied in your own wisdom that you've acquired and the insight you think that you have discovered for yourself. Maybe you're trusting in your own understanding of how the world works and how you ought to operate to live the life you want. If that's you, you're likely chasing after whatever it is you want. Whatever desires are out there that you think are worth chasing after is what you spend your time and your focus running towards. And it might be working for now. Maybe your hope in life is to have a comfortable life or a secure life or a well-accomplished life. And whatever you've done up until this point has worked to those ends. But be cautious. Jesus tells a parable of wisdom and says that the person who's leaning on their own wisdom and understanding of the world is like a man who builds his house on the sand. So if you've come into the room leaning on your own understanding of how to live, you are one storm away from everything collapsing. And so maybe... Your own way of living has worked up into this point. But all the things of this world are temporary and fleeting. And so whatever you found in this world to rely on will soon pass away. I think our passage speaks to you this morning, and it would say don't rely on the unreliable. Find the solid ground on which to lay a foundation. Maybe you've come into this room satisfied in the wisdom you have because you have set your hope on Jesus alone. And so the understanding that God has given you through his word has given you a wisdom and an understanding for life that you've been able to lean on time and time again. Maybe at one time you were searching for wisdom. Maybe at one time you were leaning on your own wisdom. But now you've come into the room knowing that it is only through God's wisdom found in Christ that you should live your life. It's been revealed to you of your own sin and foolishness so that you can understand God's faithfulness to you. I think our passage speaks to you this morning to say that even if you have trusted in God, even if you have leaned on his wisdom, lean on it again. Spend this morning looking to his word. To echo Solomon's words that we find here in Proverbs, let God's words not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to the whole body. So whether you've come in desperately seeking wisdom, some better way to live, or whether you've come in trusting your own understanding of how you should live your life, or whether you are cherishing what God has spoken in his word and leaning on that, let's turn to God's word together as I read our passage starting in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, 
tender, the only one on the side of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. This passage opens with a familiar theme that we've seen in Proverbs repeatedly, a father instructing his son. The book of Proverbs is advice from a loving parent, Solomon, to his children. And here the father implores his son to listen, that they might gain insight and wisdom. And as he implores him in chapter 4, the father tells his son of three places that the journey of following wisdom will take him. Three destinations that you will visit as you follow wisdom from God. Adornment, abundance, and eternity. So this morning as we look through this passage, we'll visit each of those destinations on this journey and see what Solomon has written that his son might learn. The father, as we've just seen, is adamant that the son listens to his instruction so that he might find wisdom. This raises a good question for the son. Why should he trust what his father is saying? Why is it that his father's wisdom is worth listening to? Likewise, as we're reading this, it raises a similar question for us. How do we know that the Bible itself and the wisdom that God has given us in his word worth listening to? Earlier, I made two bold claims. First, I said, if you've been looking for wisdom, that there's no better place to be than right here looking at God's word. Secondly, I said that if you're trusting in your own wisdom, you ought to be cautious because your own wisdom is far inferior to the wisdom that God has in his word. Both of those claims assume that what we read in the Bible and what God has revealed to us It's not only trustworthy, but it's applicable to our lives. But why trust the Bible? How can we be sure that it's really worth listening to? The father in Proverbs 4 addresses this dilemma with his son. Why should the son trust his father's advice? The answer begins in verse 3. The father speaking says, When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. The father's not the first person with this insight. He learned it from his father before him. And if we remember our Bible history, if Proverbs is written by Solomon, his father was David, and David was the second king of Israel, who is described in the Bible as having a heart after God's own heart. So we know that David was a man of wisdom and insight himself. Solomon instructs his sons, And says, hear my wisdom, but it's not just my wisdom. This isn't just words from me, but it's also words from my father who came before me. And so why should the son trust what his father is saying? Because the wisdom he's giving him has a track record. Because we can see how that wisdom plays out. And we know from David's life, he had his ups and downs. He had moments where he leaned on God and he had moments where he leaned on himself But throughout David's life was a consistent thread of God's faithfulness to David. God's goodness towards someone who didn't really deserve anything he had. David started life 
as the youngest brother in a family of shepherds, kind of working class people. And then God picked him and had him anointed as king of Israel simply for the reason that God had chosen him to be anointed. It wasn't because of David's own accomplishments or impressive feats that he had done. God chose and anointed David. And David loved God and followed after him for the days of his life. And so this wisdom that we're reading in chapter 4 of Proverbs isn't just something invented by Solomon. It's wisdom handed down from the generations. It's wisdom that ultimately comes from God himself, and it has a track record. So likewise, how can we trust the Bible when we read it? Because similarly, it has a track record. We can trust God's wisdom. First, we should ask, well, what is God's wisdom? Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says, But if we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. There's all sorts of ways we could describe God's wisdom, and there's all sorts of ways that it's spelled out in the Scriptures. But Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthians, is able to focus down and say that if you want to most fully see God's wisdom, look at Jesus Specifically, look at his work on the cross. Jesus is the fullness of God made visible to us here on earth, and his work on the cross is the fullness of his work here on earth. Because God, in that moment of the crucifixion, chose to send his son to a death that was our death so that we could live a life that was his life. God chose to use death to bring about life. He chose to use a savior defeated to bring about a people who were victorious. Paul says when the world looks in on that person of Jesus and on his work on the cross, what they see is foolishness. When we claim that Christ is our everything, our savior, our conquering redeemer, the world looks in and sees a man who hung on a cross and died. They say, if that's the guy you're hitching your wagon to, you're foolish. You want someone who can actually conquer things, not someone who gets executed by the government. Paul says it's because the world looking in on the work of God doesn't understand what he's doing. So they label it foolishness, but what we can see is the wisdom of God, knowing that he has a plan of salvation where through that death on a cross, he was able to bring about life, not just for Jesus, but for any who would call upon Christ. God's wisdom says that you can have life by trusting in the death of Christ. It says that you're incapable of living a life that leads anywhere except death, but by dying to yourself and trusting in Christ, you can have eternal life. And we can ask, how has that wisdom played out? How does that work to trust in Christ, to trust in God the Father and his plan of salvation? First, we can see how it worked out for Jesus. Jesus was delivered over to the Romans. He was crucified on the cross, but he trusted in the wisdom of his Father, and he prayed to the Father, saying, I want to follow your will, not my own will, because I trust in your wisdom. And three days after his crucifixion, Jesus was resurrected in power. He trusted in the Father's 
plan of salvation and the Father's will. And he rose again from the dead to demonstrate that the Father's salvation plan was effective. We, we can look at Paul. Paul labels himself the greatest of sinners because of the way that he opposed God, the way that he opposed the church, and the way that he hated Jesus before Christ confronted him on the road to Damascus and transformed his life. Paul went on to trust in that saving work of Jesus. And where it led him was down a long path of trials and persecutions and troubles and stonings and being thrown out of town and being sent on his way, being delivered over to court, standing trial for what he was saying. But through it all, we see Paul maintaining a joyful trust in God his Savior. He leaned on God's wisdom, knowing that the wisdom of the world will tell him, just be quiet about Jesus, and it will go a whole lot more smoothly for you. But instead, Paul chose to lean on God's wisdom, which said, go into all nations, tell everyone of this good work of Christ. And his reward was a joyful dependence on God, that even in the midst of trial and circumstance, he was able to learn more fully how God was able to provide for everything he truly needed in life. Paul spent the entirety of the rest of his life proclaiming God's goodness. If we want to see how God's wisdom works out, we can just look through history. Generation after generation of Christians who have, in various ways, been afflicted or opposed or persecuted for their faith. But those faithful brothers and sisters throughout history have echoed what 2 Corinthians says, that though they are afflicted in every way, they are not crushed. Though they are perplexed by their circumstance, they're not driven to despair. Though they are persecuted for their faith, they're not forsaken. Though they were struck down, many Christians throughout history have been killed because of their faith. Though they were struck down, they were not destroyed because their hope was in Christ. Their life was found in him. The author of Hebrews looks just at some of the figures in the Bible to see their life of faith. But we, 2,000 years after Christ, can even look throughout history itself to see how men and women who have chosen to lean firmly on God's word and lean into the wisdom of what God says have been able to remain joyful in opposition, have been able to remain faithful in persecution, and have been able to obtain the prize of seeing God face to face. If we want to bring it closer to home, we can just look at the brothers and sisters in our church. If you know any of the people in the pews around you, if you know some of their story, you know that we have brothers and sisters in this room that have gone through all sorts of sorrows, griefs, suffering, physical challenges, financial devastations, emotional battles, but have chosen to lean on God and his wisdom. And through all of those things, have been able to endure and find joy in Christ. So if you're wondering, is the wisdom of God trustworthy? Just look at the track record of God's people. That when our wisdom and our definition of success is set by God's word, he is faithful to be with us. He'll provide every need that we have in the moment. 
And he has been trustworthy to every single person who has called on Christ as a Savior from 2,000 years ago until this very moment. So the father in Proverbs 4 says to his son, seek God's insight. And that's not just me saying that. It's me and that's my father and that's the generations before him. Seek God's insight because the people of God have seen it to be faithful throughout their history. It has worked in generations past. It has worked up until this moment and God's wisdom will work for you as well. So lean on God's wisdom. And what happens when you do? When you choose that I will follow God's insight and understanding on how I ought to live. We arrive at destination number one, adornment. Look at verse six. Speaking of wisdom, the father says, do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. The father's telling his son, you do need wisdom and insight and you don't have it in yourself. The very first thing a wise person does is admit, I need to go somewhere else to find wisdom to live by. So the father tells the son, whatever the cost is, whatever it costs you, get insight. Figure out how it is you ought to live in this world. And if you chase after God's wisdom, and you have it and you hold that wisdom, he says wisdom will love, guard, exalt, and honor the one who follows her. This is summed up in verse 9. The one who follows wisdom is adorned with a garland and a crown. Crowns were given as a symbol of favor and esteem. Oftentimes when we think of crowns now, we tie them just to royalty. If you're a king or a queen, maybe a prince or a princess, you might wear a crown. But crowns as a symbol don't just refer to royalty, but refer to any person of honor. It was a way of showing favor. It was a way of showing that this was a person who had some sort of success or, or something that they had done that, that we should give them esteem. It was a way of adorning a person to say that they have accomplished something meaningful. And the father in Proverbs 4 tells his son, if you follow after wisdom, not only will she guard you and keep you, she will adorn you with a graceful garland, and a beautiful crown. So the wisdom of God is most fully seen in Jesus Christ. And for all who cling to him as a savior, he does all these same things that wisdom does in Proverbs 4. For those who follow Christ, who cling to him as their savior, he continues loving you even when you sin again and again and again and again. You've never committed a sin that finally made Jesus stop loving you. But cling to him as your savior. 
as you cling to him, he guards you, even when difficult, hard things happen, even when unimaginable sorrows come up in your life. Christ looks after and provides for his people. For those clinging to Christ, he honors you, even when you aren't deserving of it, even when you had done nothing to earn God's favor, Christ, through his death on the cross, has given you the status of being a child of God. And even now, through the Spirit, for all who call on Christ as their Savior, he adorns you with grace upon grace. The good things that Christ has to give you and that the Father has to give you don't start after you die. They start now. That for all who are following Christ, who are clinging to him as Savior, who are placing their hope for life and death in him alone, he adorns you with those blessings through his Spirit. He gives you a people. He gives you gifts. And he gives you all that you need in any moment. The first destination as we follow the wisdom of God is adornment. It's this show of esteem and favor given to us that we are undeserving of, but through Christ have access to. But the Father invites his son to listen further. Look at verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom, I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. The father's hope is that his son might have a long, full life, so he warns him that there are two options to follow in this world, the way of wisdom that he's commending or the way of evil. It might seem harsh to draw such a sharp contrast, to say you're either following wisdom or you're following wickedness. But in reality, it's just bringing into clarity our place in our life in this world. Either you are worshiping God and following his ways, or you have found something else to worship and are following its ways. And you're probably trying to worship yourself. And the problem with worshiping anything other than God is that it not only misplaces affection and worship that should be given to God, but it's a way of saying and claiming that God is not worthy of all praise and worship. And so we're not just simply worshiping the wrong thing. We're at the same time trying to defame God and his goodness. So we either are following the way of wisdom or the way of wickedness. There's really no in-between. Either follow God or follow the way of evil. So what does that look like specifically in our lives? Either we're being generous with our finances and understanding that everything that we have in our bank account is given to us by God to be used in a way that glorifies him, or we're holding onto our money tightly because we think we're the ones who are most deserving of it. 
We're either following God's wisdom to be open-handed and generous with all that he's given us, or we're following our wisdom or the world's wisdom or the Wall Street Journal's wisdom about holding on to our money that we might be able to put it to work for us to get the things that we want later in life. Following the way of wisdom or evil means that either we're a person of truthfulness or integrity or we're a person who's a little loose with what it means to tell the truth. Finds ways to say what's true when it benefits us, but leave out the parts that might hurt us a little bit, or to just flat out lie to those around us because it's to our advantage or to our gain. And we understand that telling the truth is a good thing when it serves us well, but is sort of an obstacle if it's going to get in our way, and so we don't always have to go and tell the truth. There's no in-between. We're either a person that follows God's wisdom and we have integrity and we don't bear false witness or we're someone who's following the way of evil, of wickedness, and using the truth when it serves us best. It can look like to follow the way of wisdom or evil, that we're either counting others more significant than ourselves and seeking their good or looking first and foremost for our own self-interests, for whatever benefits us. And Solomon tells his son, in the world there will be these two paths, one that follows God, that understands his way and his wisdom as the way we ought to live, or one that follows wickedness. There's no neutral, there's no right down the middle option that's neither good nor wicked. Either we follow God with our whole life or we choose to follow ourselves for something else and try to worship that instead. But notice why the path of wisdom is the one commended to the son. Verses 10 and 12, he says that the years of your life may be many. That when you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Father tells his son there's two paths to follow, but one will lead to destruction and one will lead to life. So walking in wisdom is a path towards life. Jesus contrasted the way of wickedness with life, with the life he offers by saying that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Following the way of wisdom is not the difference between just a better or worse life. It's the difference between life and death. Jesus has come so that those who are dead in their sins might have life, but he goes beyond even that and gives us not only life, but an abundant life. A life where when we walk, our steps won't be hampered, and if we run, we will not stumble. So the second destination on this journey of wisdom is abundance. If we walk in the way of wisdom, we might have life instead of destruction, but not just life, a life that abounds. Well, abounds in what? Joy, satisfaction, purpose, meaning. The father gives his son a final contrasting image of wisdom and wickedness. Verse 18. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. 
The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. Several years ago, I was in Colorado, and I was a part of a group that was hiking up a mountain for a sunrise hike. I don't know if you've ever done a sunrise hike before, but the idea is to see the sunrise, you want to get to the best vantage point possible, which usually is the highest place possible. In Illinois, it's sometimes hard to think through mountain images, but bear with me here if you need to. On this hike, we started well before sunrise because when you're hiking up a mountain, it takes time, it takes effort, the air gets thinner, your body has to work harder, and so you need to start early enough, otherwise the sun will rise and you'll miss it completely. And so when we started this hike, I remember that it was early, it was dark, it was cold, and I was tired. Really the last thing you want to do when it's cold, dark, and you're tired is hike up the Rocky Mountains. Because they live up to their name, and they have rocks everywhere, including whatever path you're trying to walk on. But nevertheless, we took off on this hike, the whole group, and basically the way we were able to not trip and break a leg or hurt ourselves was have little headlamps that provided just enough light to point down so you could at least see if the place right in front of you had a rock or not. And so for a couple of hours, we just sort of trudged through the darkness making sure every step of the way that you were trying to step over the log or step around the rock. But every now and then, even with that little headlamp, it wasn't quite enough light or it cast a weird shadow and you still catch your foot on some obstacle in the path. And every time you'd sort of trip and and kind of tense up, gather yourself and then keep going. Until eventually we got to the top of the mountain, we were able to sit, rest, drink water, and then the sun rose. And a sunrise on the top of a mountain is one of the most beautiful things you'll experience in your life. It lights up the whole landscape. You can see more than just a little rock right in front of your foot that your headlamp was able to show. You can see for miles. On a clear day, you'll see as far as you can until literally the earth curves away out of view. So we sat there on the top of the mountain. We were able to take in everything that the sun had just made visible. And then we headed back down. And on the way back down, with the sunlight beaming in, never once did you have a concern about tripping over some rock or log in the path that you didn't see before because the sun had lit up the whole terrain for you to see. The father tells his son that the way of wisdom is like hiking down a mountain after the sun has already risen. That more and more as the day gets brighter and brighter, you're able to see the terrain of life and the way that God has made the world so that you might walk well in it without stumbling. Now that doesn't mean that our life will be met with every measure of success that the world will give us. Just because we know the way the world is built and the way that God has made us doesn't mean that will be financially successful. We might be leaning into God's wisdom and seeing the world through the light of wisdom and still living paycheck to paycheck. Following the wisdom of God doesn't mean that we'll find success in our careers that maybe we hope to. It doesn't mean that we'll have success in our families and raising children that we want. 
but following God's wisdom will give us life and life abundantly. And we'll find a joy in following God that we did not know was worth chasing until he lit up our world of wisdom and we could see the way to follow him. Jesus gives us an abundant life where we can experience an ever-increasing understanding of how to live and follow him. Father implores his son one last time. Look at verse 20. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and healing to all flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance and from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. The third destination on the journey of wisdom is eternity, specifically eternal life. The father tells his son that following the wisdom of God will transform him from head to toe. Notice he tells him, incline your ear to my saying. Change your speech of your mouth. Look with your eyes at the sight that God has. Ponder the path of your feet. Everything from your ears and eyes down to your feet will be transformed by following the wisdom of God. And that's not something that we do ourselves. That's something that God does for his people as they cling to him. He transforms us so that our ears and what they listen to change. Our mouth and what it says changes. Our feet and the direction they go in is turned. Wisdom transforms us from head to toe where before we were a people walking slowly to death in an eternal separation from God, we're transformed into people who are now walking and running towards eternal life with their Heavenly Father. This culminates in verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. When we follow the wisdom of God, We will have a spring of life flowing from our heart. Jesus says in John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus tells anyone who would listen, If you come to me and trust in me as your Savior, and lean on the wisdom of God and his plan of salvation. I will make flow out of you a stream of living water that gives us eternal life and that serves as a light for all around us to see that we're trusting in God and we have been given a new life that will go on forever with our Heavenly Father. So the third destination as we follow God's wisdom is transformed heart and life that we will enjoy forever with God.
So if you came into this room searching for wisdom, look to Christ. He offers not just life, not just a new life or a changed life. He offers life where you were dead, and he offers abundant life that you might enjoy an overflow of his blessings now for the rest of your life here on this earth and into eternity with him. If you came into this room resting on your own wisdom, understand that the wisdom of this world cannot give that eternal life. It might be able to gain you some successes and wins here in this moment, but in 70, 80, 90 years, you'll be dead. And all that wisdom that this world had to offer offers you nothing beyond death. If you came into this room already clinging to God's wisdom, keep his words on your ears. Renew your mind again and again with God's wisdom. Ponder the path of your feet that you might be able to continue walking steadfastly towards him. Christ, through his work on the cross and his gift of the Spirit, has made this possible for his people, to have a life that overflows with abundance, that walks towards the Father, and that will one day enjoy fellowship with our brothers and sisters and our Heavenly Father together in one place. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you would keep us aware of the ways that we are following, whether wisdom or wickedness, that we might be able to see the life that is offered through your Son and the wisdom of following a Savior who is crucified. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.